The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Good morning, USA, and welcome to another episode of the Bernie or Bust Show. The Bernie Brothers and Sisters Online Army is going to be the best weapon for Bernie against the establishment attacks. Let's start with Kim Iverson unpacking what it really is that we're up against. I keep hearing over and over that the most important thing is to beat Donald Trump, that we must vote blue no matter who. The Democratic Party is hyper-focused on this. The left-wing media obsesses over it. Candidates start off their speeches with it. This is how it always goes. Evil will win unless you vote for us. The world's morals are at risk. The only thing that matters is defending our values. And you know what? They're right, but they're wrong about who we have to defeat. It is becoming increasingly clearer and clearer that who we have to beat no matter what is the establishment. The establishment on both sides of the aisle have turned their back on American values and have sold us out to billionaires and international corporations. The American values we have cherished for generations, the value of the American dream is gone. It's been destroyed by greed. My generation and younger have had to kiss goodbye the idea of owning a home with a white picket fence, having multiple kids, two cars, the college education we were able to pay for by working a summer job. Even the idea of having a stay-at-home parent is long gone. Instead, younger generations have had to create a sharing economy where they don't own a thing and a gig economy which will leave them with nothing to retire on. Our political leaders keep us focused on emotional moral issues such as immigration, abortion, racism, misogyny, so that our attention isn't on what's really happening. The people in Washington and those who fund their campaigns are running off with our money. They are robbing us and stopping them is the only thing that should matter. They don't represent us. They squabble back and forth with each other saying, Democrats want to destroy us, so vote for us, or Republicans want to destroy us, so vote for us. Meanwhile, they're both destroying us all together. They distract us with things that we do care about, but that aren't really affecting our day-to-day -day lives. Communists aren't coming to get you. Your guns aren't going to be taken away. And me being a minority female am not being held back because I'm Vietnamese, nor because I'm a woman. What holds us back is the increasing inflation on basic necessities, which is intended to siphon money from us to distribute to the already wealthy. Men All right, that's a good point. But we need to make sure that women and minorities understand that they are being held back, that the system is holding back women and minorities. I don't think Kim is trying to sweep all this under the carpet, but I'm trying to suggest that maybe she has an economic solution that will lift all of the ships. I've thought about this before and I never intend to sweep issues under the carpet. I never intend to minimize the identity problems that we have, but I think that she's right in the point she's about to make that we need to stick together to solve it. Any of us are riddled in student loan debt, have to be careful about going to the doctor so we don't rack up bills, are priced out of the ridiculously high housing market, and the thought of having a kid and paying for daycare? Forget it. The establishment and the rich oligarchs they are in bed with have turned the middle class into serfs in their fiefdom and have completely ignored the poor. Our poor are living on the streets. Many are addicted to drugs just to escape their terrible reality and even more are unable to compete with immigrants or automation for jobs. These are real issues, yet we hardly hear about them. 
There are a few candidates who actually attempt to offer solutions. Bernie Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard, and Andrew Yang all have ideas that are tangible. Medicare for all, end the extremely expensive wars, the freedom dividend. And when they talk about Trump just being a symptom, and when they court voters on the other side of the aisle, they're smeared as apologists, communists. Yang and Gabbard, neither of whom are white, actually get confronted about having white supremacists as supporters. It's all gaslighting in an attempt for you and I to not see what's really going on. The establishment is corrupt, they are bought off, and we the people need to do everything we can to get them out of office. It can't be vote blue no matter who. It's got to be vote anti-establishment no matter which side of the aisle they come from because our true American morals and values depend on it. Turn off Fox News, turn off MSNBC, turn off the propaganda that keeps us fighting with one another to the benefit of the ruling class. We need to join together and defeat the establishment. They tell us to put our differences aside and vote blue no matter who to defeat Republicans. But what I'm saying is, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, we need to put some of our differences aside and vote anti-establishment no matter what in order to get our nation back. I will not vote for an establishment candidate even if it means Trump wins again. Because the war we are fighting is bigger than that. If an establishment Democrat wins, the left becomes complacent. People think all is well with the world and they no longer have to pay attention to the continued corruption that has plagued both parties. We did that with Obama. We, I did it. I voted for Obama twice and I thought at first that things were going to get better then. And, and I did relax. I did get complacent. And now what we have is... The result of that complacency. People actually think Phew, Trump is gone. Democrats are in control. They're the good guys. Meanwhile, they continue to march us into wars, bail out the banks, keep migrants in detention centers, get their family members multi-million dollar jobs, and somehow make even more millions upon millions while they hold public office. They want you to vote blue no matter who, so you don't have a clue. But what we need to do is stand up and say, nope, we're on to you. Bernie resonates in places where Trump won. Even if it's a Republican, sometimes you'll hear, well, you know, I still really like Bernie Sanders. Here's the thing. To win this election, you have to win the Electoral College. And Trump won 30 states in 2016. And he won in places where Bernie actually crushed it in the Democratic primaries. Bernie won 71 of 72 counties in Wisconsin. Trump won there. Bernie won every single county in West Virginia. Trump won there. They can be a hardcore Trump supporter. I like Bernie Sanders. He's honest. Donald Trump exploited real pain and problems in this country and began to scapegoat African-Americans, immigrants, other marginalized communities, LGBTQ folk, as demagogues always do. And Donald Trump, as a con man, began making promises that he never intended to keep. Universal health care. I am going to take care of everybody. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taking care of now. And Bernie said the Democratic and Republican establishment has failed people all over the country. And people feel that failure and take it personally. Donald Trump understood that and exploited it for his own gain. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment with a new government controlled by you, the American people. People were so agitated and frustrated and felt that this guy actually believed in them. In reality, it was just a con. And so you have 
millions and millions of white folk in this country who voted against their own self-interest. They need an elimination of medical debt. They need equal access to health care. There are rural communities all over this country where hospitals are closing down. There are counties all over the state of Tennessee where there's nowhere to deliver a baby. When Bernie wins this nomination, Bernie's going to take this fight to Trump in all 50 states and fight to win the hearts, the minds, and votes of everyday people all over the country. Wow. That was a bonus. I didn't expect to show that. But that's a good answer for people now that we're kind of pivoting towards uh, trying to get Trump supporters behind Bernie, because what Sean King was saying there is very true. So you've got Kim Iverson and Sean King that both have really good voices when it comes to speaking to both sides of the aisle. They're making points that are valid. And of course, neither one of them is trying to minimize the identity problems we have. And and so <laughs> take it from them instead of me, some old white guy, take it from them and and from me because we're all saying the same thing and we're all speaking truth to power. Now we move to my friend Keaton Weiss from Do Dissidents. Bloomberg is the Stop Sanders candidate. Our response must be Bernie or bust. I would say at this point, gladly and easily, that Keaton Weiss is a friend of the Bernie or Bust show. We did one show together on the Bernie or Bust show back a few episodes, so go back and look at that one if you enjoy what Keaton is saying in this article. In 2016, I was more or less Bernie or Bust. I registered as a Democrat for the first time in my life in order to vote for Bernie Sanders in the closed primary state of New York. That summer, after the primary, I dem-exited and did not cast a vote in the general election. This cycle, because I felt that progressives had built considerable momentum within the Democratic Party since 2016, and because I felt a second Trump term would be far more dangerous than a first, I was, in the beginning, explicitly anti-Bernie or bust. I still supported Sanders from the day he launched his campaign, but I also thought that in the event he didn't win the nomination, it would still be worth electing another Democrat, even a horrible one, if for no other reason than to avert a second Trump term in which he would appoint at least one, probably two, maybe even three SCOTUS justices. We talked about that in the previous show I mentioned. And to see our newly elected progressives in the squad and elsewhere try and push our legislative agenda to the new president's desk in the hopes we could apply enough pressure that he or she would sign off on it. For these reasons, Bernie or Bust seemed strategically dubious in the early days of this campaign. But not anymore. I could say that circumstances have changed, but the Bernie or Busters would insist that they haven't, and that I should have been on board with them all along. And they'd have a point, because my analysis in the spring and summer of last year failed to consider the lengths to which the Democratic establishment would go to sabotage the Sanders campaign and the movement it has become. I certainly expected a bitter, brutal fight, just as we endured last time around, but I wasn't sure it would get to such an ugly place in 2020. Unlike in 2016, there was no one anointed candidate for the establishment to coalesce behind, and so I thought an anti-Bernie campaign would be harder to pull off because it couldn't be disguised as a pro-someone-else campaign, if you will. I also thought there was a decent possibility that Bernie might have gotten lost in the shuffle of 20-plus candidates, and had he never gained traction, such a Stop Sanders effort may not have been necessary in the first place. Alas, I was wrong. 
because Bernie not only caught traction, he caught fire. He gained such momentum that the Democratic establishment and their media allies were forced into action to try and stop him much earlier than even they could have anticipated. I did predict correctly that because there was no Clinton-like figure in this race for the party hacks to rally around, a never-Bernie push would be rather obvious in its intention, which is probably why it thankfully hasn't worked very well. But I was wrong in thinking that such a dynamic might deter them from trying. The CNN slash Elizabeth Warren smear job against Bernie was my first real reminder of how awful things could become overnight. Such a clearly coordinated hit was a loud wake-up call, but thankfully that's all it was because Bernie not only survived the attack, he came out of it even stronger. Then came the Iowa caucuses, which Bernie was poised to win, only to have app malfunctions, communications breakdowns, and reporting discrepancies totally derailed the entire affair. This was either a second coordinated hit against Bernie's movement, or it was negligence to the point that it may as well have been. Either way, it was obvious that the Democratic Party could not be trusted to administer free and fair elections in such a manner that the public could have confidence in the results. A party that can't be trusted in this way has no reason to exist. That night it became clear that they were an illegitimate party and a party I could no longer pledge my support to in this election. I believe very much in Bernie and the movement he has nurtured over these past five years and so I'm still willing to stick it out for him and for us but there was no way I could actively support anyone else at that point, even in a general election against Donald Trump. So I was back on the Bernie or Bust bandwagon. However, even in my recent appearance on the Bernie or Bust YouTube show and podcast, I made sure to point out that in order not to alienate undecided potential Bernie voters in the primary, I wasn't quite ready to stress the Bernie or Bust message in most of my political interactions. I stated very clearly that, I personally am Bernie or bust, but that tactically I still wasn't sure that it was the best strategy to try and win over primary voters, and in many cases it still might not be. I'll give you that, I understand where you're coming from there. This is not to say that we shouldn't make serious arguments against other candidates, it's simply to say that in general I don't believe that a militant Bernie or bust strategy is the most effective way to win over undecided primary voters who might be turned off by such a confrontational approach. The rebuttal, if there is one, is to take note of how the corporate media are crying their eyes out over the Bernie bros and sisters army that's on Twitter and in other places. When it comes to rank and file blue dog Democrats, I think they will vote for Bernie even if we are insufferably annoying. This is still my opinion, whether it's the corporate media crying or regular blue dog Democrats crying. I think the reason they're crying is that because the Bernie army is so effective online and they would like to take us out of commission. They would like to minimize our ability, our awesome power to take down the candidates who are fakes. After we're done with Keaton's article here, we're going to explore that idea further. But there is one candidate whose supporters need to hear the unfiltered Bernie or bust message loud and clear, and that's Mike Bloomberg. Anyone even considering supporting this Cretan must be made to understand one thing. They can't have him. Period. Michael Bloomberg simply is not an option because we, the Bernie or Busters, will not allow him to be. Yeah. A key component of the Bernie or Bust movement strategy was what they called electoral leverage, in which Bernie supporters would essentially threaten to undermine the eventual non-Bernie nominee of the party in a general election 
in the hopes that sincere blue no matter who voters would choose Sanders in the primary to avoid such a split in the party that would usher in a Trump victory. I wasn't on board with this in the beginning, and I still think there are more effective ways to convert Biden, Warren, and Buttigieg supporters to our cause, such as making an electability argument centered around the all-important Bernie to Trump swing voters in the critical Rust Belt states, which the Bernie or Bust movement has articulated extremely well. But the Bloomberg supporters need to hear a direct and unequivocal statement from the Burners that there is no way in hell we will ever vote for Michael Bloomberg. This is an extreme circumstance in which a leverage strategy is entirely appropriate. First of all, anyone who actually prefers Bloomberg to Sanders may as well prefer Trump to Sanders. Bloomberg and Trump are both obvious racists who have enacted blatantly racist policies. They're both notorious womanizers with dozens of sexual misconduct claims against them. They're both abusive bosses who bemoan pregnant women in the workplace. They both treat Muslims as unwelcome suspects. They both view poor people as dirt and working people as suckers. And they're both oligarchs who view democracy as an unfortunate inconvenience. Bravo, Keaton. Well said. Second, of course, there are those voters who may personally prefer Sanders to Bloomberg, but fear that Bernie is unelectable, whereas Bloomberg can at least beat Trump. Aside from the very strong likelihood that a Bloomberg versus Trump race would yield the lowest black voter turnout in decades, which would surely doom Democrats up and down the ballot, there's another deeper issue here that these nervous Bloomberg can at least beat Trump voters must contemplate. To say that only Bloomberg can beat Trump is to say that Trump can't really be beaten. Again, they're both equally racist, sexist, and xenophobic, and they're both equal in their contempt for poor and working class people. And sure, you could say that Bloomberg is a self-made billionaire, whereas Trump may not be a billionaire at all, and that Bloomberg is smart and competent, whereas Trump is a bumbling fool. But then you'd have to concede that for the purposes of the 2020 election, Trumpism is reduced to fraudulence, stupidity, and incompetence, and that we're simply going to forgo the opportunity to try and defeat the more insidious elements of Trumpism, the bigotry, misogyny, and cruelty, for fear that we actually can't. To say that Bloomberg is the most electable candidate is to say that he's the only one Trumpian enough to win. This is a thoroughly cowardly position and a shameful betrayal of the very values liberals constantly espouse. I'm waiting for the cowardly Noam Chomsky to crawl up and tell us that we should vote for Bloomberg instead of Trump if Bloomberg hijacks the nomination. That was me, not Keaton, that last sentence. And third, Bloomberg is clearly in this race for one reason, and that's to stop Bernie Sanders. He got in late when it seemed clear that Biden couldn't make it and that Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar lacked the broad appeal and name recognition necessary to compete nationally. Bloomberg, with his infinitely deep pockets and nearly universal name ID, knew he could at least stay in the race through the very end and perhaps split the vote in such a way as to force a brokered convention during which the party superdelegates could choose the nominee on the second ballot, even in the increasingly likely scenario that Bernie goes into Milwaukee with the delegate lead, i.e. a plurality, but not a majority. We talked about that in yesterday's show. Of course, we simply can't stand for this. The fact that an authoritarian, racist, sexist, xenophobic Republican billionaire is even being entertained as the alternative to Trump 
when of course the irony is such that I don't even have to finish this point and you get where I'm going with it, is an embarrassment that the Democratic Party shouldn't ever get to live down. But if they want to be around long enough to try, then they better not nominate him. Because if they do, we will destroy the Democratic Party once and for all. I remember in the show that we shared together when Keaton and I were talking about this, we talked about sabotage, the idea of sabotage. Well, let me tell you for sure, if Bloomberg is a nominee, I will sabotage through every means possible, through every means available, I will sabotage his candidacy. Now, Keaton's last paragraph. According to betting markets, which are consistent with most observers' analyses, including mine, this is coming down to a Bernie or Bloomberg race. The point we need to make is that Bernie or Bloomberg is Bernie or bust, because we simply won't stand for Michael Bloomberg. So if no one else has a chance at this point, then Bernie or bust is the only real choice there is. If you agree with Keaton, all you have to do is go to bernieorbust2020.us. Did you hear that? bernieorbust2020.us. Say it again. bernieorbust2020.us and sign the Bernie or Bust pledge. Here's a Jacobin Magazine article by Liza Featherstone called The Attacks on Bernie Sanders Supporters Are Going From the Ridiculous to the Deranged. Rival campaigns and hostile journalists are scraping the bottom of the barrel with their latest attacks on Bernie Sanders supporters. Now apparently getting owned on Twitter is harassment and when a nurses union donates to Bernie, it's dark money. Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete Buttigieg, two unelectable candidates apparently trying their best to outdo each other in alienating progressive voters, have recently tarred activists trying to make America a better place as dark money or super PACs. Meanwhile, an anti-Bernie Sanders PAC is giving the most absurd possible justification for its founders' anonymity. People will be mean to them on the internet. Last month, Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel tweeted a donor appeal in which Mayor Pete's campaign referred to the Sunrise Movement, a youth-led group pushing for action on climate change and the Center for Popular Democracy, which works on economic justice issues as dark money groups. The Sunrise Movement is one of the most impressive of many vigorous climate action groups to emerge over the last couple years, bearing significant responsibility for the prominence of the Green New Deal in our discourse and even as a democratic talking point. Some investigative journalists have raised legitimate questions about the Sunrise Movement's funding, as is the case with many PACs, but it says a lot about Mayor Pete's politics that with all the money he takes from serious one percenters, he goes out of his way to insult young people pressing for policy action affecting the survival of the human species and to surreally imply that when it comes to money in politics, climate activists are the problem. The Sunrise Movement responded by noting that Mayor Pete had sought their support and was only attacking the group now that they'd endorsed someone else, Bernie Sanders. Don't be that guy who responds to rejection with insults, the group tweeted. <laughs> that was pretty good. Not long afterward, Elizabeth Warren became that guy too, claiming in the most recent debate that she and Amy Klobuchar were the only candidates who were not billionaires or backed by PACs that can do unlimited spending. In making that claim, she was taking a dig at National Nurses United, which backed Sanders, although she had sought their endorsement. Like Pete, she doesn't take rejection well. 
Sounds like a sociopathic ex-boyfriend to me. Charmingly, by evoking the stereotype of the harassing Bernie bro, the Beat Bernie pack is deploying feminism in its cringiest, most victimhood-seeking form to justify keeping their maneuverings secret. There is a dark money pack that is trying to harass Bernie and Bernie supporters and that you can read earlier in this article. I skipped ahead. In all the hubbub over online harassment by Bernie supporters, some key facts get lost. One is that many of Sanders' most pugilistic and verbally merciless supporters, including some that have been asked by the campaign to tone down their attacks on Bernie opponents, are women, making Bernie broism the latest field of endeavor in which the achievements of women are systematically overlooked. And make no mistake, achievements they are. You go, Bernie bro sisters. Another often overlooked fact is that discussion of rude Bernie bros seems to consistently blur the distinction between violence and harassment on the one hand and criticism on the other. Take a look at the quote above from Beat Bernie 2020. Like most people attempting to perpetuate the Bernie bro smear, their invocation of threats and backlash equates threats with backlash, when obviously threats made to anyone are unacceptable, while backlash is simply criticism. So the long and short of this article and the other points we've made earlier in the week, and last week also, are that attacking Bernie bros and sisters is just an admission that we're extremely effective in dismantling all the bullshit of the corporate media. We're unrigging the corporate media. We are the grubby populists who are speaking back to our masters, and our masters don't like it much. That's why this show exists, and that's why we should support everybody who is trying to take down and dismantle the corporate media hegemony and throw it away forever. Current affairs. Why does anyone think Michael Bloomberg would beat Donald Trump? By Nathan J. Robinson. There is no principled case for giving Michael Bloomberg the Democratic nomination. His record is atrocious. He is a sexist plutocrat who instituted an authoritarian racist policing regime in New York City and openly prioritized the interests of billionaires over the poor. But many Democrats are nevertheless drawn to him and willing to overlook all of these unpleasant aspects of his record for one simple reason. They think he can beat Donald Trump. In fact, the main argument for Michael Bloomberg is pragmatic rather than principled. Stopping Trump is considered so urgent that we cannot afford such secondary considerations as caring whether he shares our values. One question alone matters, which is whether Bloomberg will win. And for people who think he will, showing that Bloomberg is a terrible person who would govern in the interests of the super-rich is completely irrelevant. Those of us who raise objections to Bloomberg's record are waved away as not caring enough about stopping Trump. But it is strange that the case for Michael Bloomberg is that he would beat Trump. I do not think people who make this argument have thought very hard about what a race between Bloomberg and Trump would be like. A moment's reflection is sufficient to decimate the electability case for Bloomberg. Of course he wouldn't beat Trump. How on earth would he beat Trump when he would tear the Democratic Party apart completely? How could he beat Trump without exciting the Democratic base? Why would people be excited enough to swap one Republican billionaire for another that they would work like hell to get him elected? How is this supposed to work exactly? Let us remember the pitch Hillary Clinton made to those on the left who did not like her. You may not like me, she said, but I am better than Donald Trump. 
you have to vote for me because you have no alternative. It's me or Trump. And the responsible thing to do is vote for the lesser evil. So none of Clinton's flaws mattered because they paled next to Trump's flaws, which I've argued is not even true. They didn't pale to Trump's flaws. So Nathan goes on to say, this was actually a strong argument because Clinton was indeed better than Trump. But what you've got to remember is trade deals. You've got to remember the TPP and NAFTA and all of the other trade deals. You have to also remember the super predators and, and all the other Bill and Hillary achievements. But we'll leave that one for now, Nathan. So Nathan says that Clinton was indeed better than Trump, which she wasn't. And many of us did indeed find ourselves grudgingly voting for her. But not me. I voted for Jill Stein. I do believe you should vote for the lesser of two evils. That's what Noam Chomsky says. So Nathan, you are nominating yourself as a sheepdog right now. You, you are dangerously close to having me put you on my sheepdog list. I do believe you should vote for the lesser of two evils when that is your only choice. No, you should vote for Jill Stein or you should not vote at all. You should not vote for evil, Nathan. Of course, many people are not willing to vote for purely strategic reasons and stubbornly insist, that's me, Nathan, I'm stubbornly insisting on voting for the candidate they most agree with. In 2016, if everyone who had voted for Jill Stein had voted for Hillary Clinton instead, Donald Trump would not have become president. I don't even think that's true. You should do a little research, Nathan. Same with Ralph Nader and Al Gore in 2000. The Bernie or Bust page, I keep arguing with you, Nathan. The Bernie or Bust 2020.us and the Bernie or Bust.info pages pretty successfully rebut what you're saying. So maybe you should go read those. Of course, Democrats can complain that it is these voters' fault when Democrats lose because the voters did not behave correctly. But if the aim is to win an election rather than to just have someone to blame when you lose one, the fact that people can and do vote third party has to be considered when choosing a nominee. The other thing, Nathan, in the long shot chance that you ever watch the Bernie or Bus show, you should consider the Bernie or Trump swing voters. You should read the article by Keaton Weiss that I just uh, posted in my information section below this video. And you should also look at the other literature that we circulate especially the Medium articles that I write. I could post some of those in the information section below, or you could just look me up on Medium, Alan Howell. But it seems to me that you don't understand the Bernie or Trump voters in swing states. Going on with Nathan. If you thought Hillary Clinton turned off the Democratic base, consider just how much worse Bloomberg would be. It's one thing to tell leftists that they have to hold their nose and vote for a centrist liberal like Clinton, most of them will, but some of them will vote third party or won't show up. If the Bernie or Bust movement has its way, 25% of them or less will hold their noses and vote for the blue candidate. But what about telling them to hold their nose and vote for a Republican billionaire who bought the nomination and has a long record of racist and sexist remarks? Many millions of people will find a Bloomberg nomination a huge slap in the face. They will be outraged to have their values treated as insignificant. They will resent being told to shut up and rally behind some rich asshole who thinks he can buy their support. They will not only refuse to vote for Michael Bloomberg, they will do so proudly because by doing so, they will show that they can't be bought or cajoled. It will feel good to defy the party's demand that they swallow their vomit and vote for whoever has the most money. 
All right, Nathan, we're going to stop reading your article here. You've you've crossed the line. But that the last point is valid. And if you can be a rich asshole for Biden, a lot of the rich assholes for Biden will switch over to Bloomberg now. And it's clear that they already are doing so. So all the mean things I've said to rich assholes for Biden, I'm saying to you if you've switched over to Bloomberg, you're still a fucking rich asshole. And if you don't understand the math, Nathan is good at math, then read the rest of this article because Bloomberg has no better shot of winning if you consider the Bernie or Trump voters and the growing number of Bernie or bust voters. The tide is turning. All the latest smears and Iowa shenanigans are making it clearer and clearer that Bernie or bust is the way to unrig the system. And mark my words, Nevada is going to be a clusterfuck. So when Nevada turns out to be just as bad or worse than Iowa, then that's when all of us should jump on the Bernie or bust train. Now, one last word from Crystal Ball in unpacking the idea of the Bernie bros and what it really means. And Sagar, the other thing I would say, you know, there's increasing speculation about a brokered convention and what would happen if Bernie gets a plurality, but not a majority. And the fact that his supporters are so clearly committed to him yeah. makes it less likely that the Dem establishment will try to pull. So I'm not saying that they won't, right. but it does make it less likely. And that point, that's the only point I wanted to take from this that point is powerful. And what she should then say is, that's why everyone should sign the Bernie or Bust pledge. Because if we want to make it difficult for the damn establishment to rig it again, an army of people who say they absolutely will not vote for any candidate other than Bernie Sanders in the general election would just do it. It would just unrig it. If we had 10 million people sign the Bernie or Bust pledge in one day, they would have a jaw-dropping reaction. They would just melt down. There wouldn't be anything they could do. We wouldn't have to wade into the streets in Milwaukee. We wouldn't have to wave our signs. We wouldn't have to cause a ruckus. All we have to do is sign the Bernie or Bust pledge by the millions, and things will take care of themselves. So please share this word broadly. Please let everyone know who's pissed off by all of the shenanigans it's only gonna get worse. In March, in April, in May, in June, you're gonna see the escalation because Bernie supporters are not gonna back down. The army is gonna continue to attack all of the garbage that we're seeing from the corporate media establishment and from the DNC and from the Clinton machine and from Obama world and from the Center for American Progress, from David Brock, from Neera Tanden, from Third Wave, from John Cowan, from the talent agency executives in Hollywood, the whole shooting match. When it comes to this establishment machinery, it's time to burn it down. And burning your bust is the way to achieve that. Get on board the burning your bust train. Come get on board the burning your bust train. Once you hear that clickety-clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Oh, get on board the Bernie or Buzz train. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television.